This is uh, Paul Schneiderman today on the 112th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. My special guest today is Chuck Powell. Chuck is the host of the uh, Chuck and Buck Show at KGR AM 950 in Seattle. Uh, Chuck is a morning co-host. He's been at KGR, I think, since, since 2015 or since 2016, Chuck? Uh, this is my seventh year, so uh, what is that? What does that make it? 2016, I believe. That's right. 2016 is when I arrived on Seattle soil. There you go. Been here over half a decade now. Um, yeah. I'm going to get back to you in a minute, Chuck. My podcast is also on Spotify, which people are hearing a lot more about now recently, and they, I don't think a lot of people knew what Spotify was even a few days ago. Also on YouTube and Rumble and Amazon, Google iTunes, Podbeam. You can also go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com. Um, Chuck Powell is an Illinois-born broadcaster. He spent many years in Las Vegas and Phoenix. Um, Chuck, is, as you just mentioned, has been in Seattle now since about 2016. Uh, I did not know this about you, Chuck, but you're also a novelist, which I want to ask you about, a little about your book. You're a dystopian novel. came out, I think, about 2014. Um, but, Chuck, I really appreciate you coming on the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. Well, thanks for having me on, Paul. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate you doing this. We had a chance to meet once. I remember I met you at a Sonics Arena event at City Hall when Chris Hansen's arena proposal was still on the table. I, I guess it's technically still on the table. Anyhow, we said hello then, so it's been several years, but thanks for doing this. Yeah, that's been a while. It feels like uh, about a century ago whole different era i know like anything <laughs> pre-pandemic feels different now doesn't yeah. it so. especially yeah I, i've spent the last couple of years taking uh, care of a, a high-risk person in my household and so it, there has not been a lot of getting out paul so if you, it's been a while since you've seen me it's been a while since anyone's seen me well you're doing this today you're you're on you're on <laughs> facebook live right now so so you're, you're you're being seen a little more well chuck i want to ask you about your novel it came out i think in 2014 let me know if i pronounce it your novel right is it called quintessa do i have the title pronounced correctly you know there's not really a wrong way because i invented the name uh but quintessa is what i go with uh it's q-i-n-t-e-s-s-a and i wrote this story about uh, a girl in a fictional dystopian uh, world, uh, future world, um, who had to be trained to be an assassin in order to survive. That was the only trait that her father had to survive in the world, and so she had to learn this as well. Um, and so I wrote the entire book, Paul, as C-O-N-T-E-S-S-A, and then I got to know her as that name, and then at the last second, I just kept coming back to Barefoot Contessa. And I'm like, I, I got to set her apart a little differently than that. And so I sort of just changed the spelling. And a lot of people ask that same question. How do you pronounce it? But uh, I made it up the name. I make up the pronunciation. So uh, the book is called Contessa. Well, it looks fascinating. I hope to read it at yeah. some point. And, and it looks pretty intense. You know, as you just mentioned, doesn't it take place like post-World War Three? Yes. Okay. Post-World War III, America loses the war. Uh, and then what becomes of our state of being at that point? Um, and I think if there's a hook to it, and by the way, it, it's, it's my publisher, you know, went under. Hopefully it wasn't my fault. Uh, so I, I get the opportunity to Doubt kind it. of pitch this again in the future to a new publisher. And I probably will do a rewrite on it. But it was nice to to work on something as hard as I did. 
to actually get it published, to see it on a bookshelf. That was a really rewarding experience for me. But yes, when I write uh, and I've written five books, so I'm hoping that they all get published eventually once I've got time more to focus on that. When I write, I step completely out of what's realistic. I, I step completely out of the sports world, which is what I'm known for here in Seattle. And so this particular story was about a, a futuristic world where the government kind of blamed everything on uh, technology and too many people. Uh, and so how do you conduct a world in which there are too many people and not enough jobs uh, kind of scenario? And so that's the kind of futuristic world. So the government gets to operate into the future with technology. Meanwhile, human beings have to operate as if it's 50 years in the past. Sounds fascinating. Well, you know what? I want to encourage my listeners to like, comment, subscribe, and go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com. My tech producer, Lucius, you just met, actually has a question for you. He wants to know, it's a great question, do you have a ritual or process that helps you write? Uh, well, my, my process is in, in, that I need to be like alone, separated from the world, and that's all that I do. You know, I the idea of having... You know, watching the game while you're doing it is not going to happen. Uh, or, you know, somebody asking you questions, that's the hardest thing. Like, you can't have somebody in the room because they th that throws you off. Uh, and, and so I, I just need a quiet place. I need to kind of just be get into writing mode and then stay in it until I'm in it and then write as long as I possibly can uh, before I escape it. Because once you find that zone, you just want to stay in it for as long as you possibly can. Totally different, Chuck. I find that with legal writing, I got to kind of get in my own little zone. You know, I don't uh -huh. love it, but it's part of what I, you know, part of my, 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 I guess, uh, other job. Um, Chuck, I want to ask you. So, I got, I got a question. So, when your, when your 2014 book comes out as a movie, will you be involved in the screenplay? <laughs> I, I hope so. I mean. Uh, the, the story is written as such that uh, I sort of envisioned, because every writer, I think, does this, uh, especially somebody that's writing action novels, uh, I sort of envisioned it becoming sort of a, like an epic series on television. And, of course, I've got the sequel planned in my head, right. and then there's going to be a trilogy. Of course, all that's going to happen. Uh, but the process of, of getting it from point A to point B, and it's just a, such a different world, the publication world these days, where so many people have to self-publish now. Um, it's just, it's it's so different. And I was not expecting to, I thought the heavy lifting, Paul, was the writing of the book, you know, all the edits that you have to do, getting the story ready to be printed. And then you just sat back and like, okay, I'll go around and I'll pitch the story. But I didn't realize how much was involved in today's world of selling it yourself. And that's where it sort of broke down with me. A lot it's of like, work. I, I don't want to do that. I mean, you you book everything and then I'll show up and, I, and I'll try to convince people that this is worth buying. But the idea of selling myself, pitching myself is just not I'm not comfortable in that. Skin. I understand. No, I hear you. But yeah, any I've been learning this marketing's a lot of work i don't think that some people yeah. realize how much work is hey chuck let me let me shift to sports and and we're, i'm going to ask you some more about your background and so forth and i i heard your show a little bit today with with bucky and ashley ryan i always enjoy turning on your show when i can and i want to ask you. you about tom brady okay he announced mm -hmm. his retirement seven times super bowl winner and i got a question for you when when some prominent athletes like barry bonds and roger clemens come up one of the first things people think of are is the steroid allegations. 
probably the first story in those guys' obituary, first section those guys' obituaries will be about the steroids allegations. Why do you think Tom Brady has been able to kind of escape the stigma of deflate gate when some other prominent athletes have a huge stigma with some of the allegations against them? Uh, I think because uh, that it, it was con- it was sort of viewed as gamesmanship. And there's a lot in gamesmanship that crosses the line between what's legal and what's illegal. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, um, you're you, you stealing signs in Major League Baseball is by baseball people considered gamesmanship. And I think Tom Brady's Deflategate situation sort of fell in that category, especially with so many former quarterbacks and even current quarterbacks coming out and saying, yeah, I tried to do the same thing. I was always trying to get the the ball that I could get the better grip on. I always like to take a little air out of it myself. Now, of course, he went to the length of stealing footballs and uh, apparently had an inside guy and all of this stuff. But I do believe that mostly it gets put into the category of gamesmanship, that kind of an act, versus I'm going to take something artificial, put it into my veins, and make me perform uh, beyond what I'm really truly physically capable of. I think it does follow him a little bit. It just doesn't haunt him like it will Clemens and Bonds. And Clemens and Bonds, of course, made it far worse on themselves by their vehement denial of something that they clearly looked guilty of. Well, let me let me. Get, I'm going to talk about Clemens and Bonds in a minute, and I want to get back to Brady for a minute. Didn't he get a four-game suspension? Wasn't there a finding that he did violate the rules of the game with the whole Deflate Gate thing? I mean, I, I, in Bonds and Clemens, I. Technically, they never tested positive when they play, and mm-hmm. they were they were both cleared of legal wrongdoing in their in their criminal cases. I'm just giving you another perspective on it. Yeah, uh, well, and and it, look, I think another thing that kind of got him off the hook was when he came back and he was even better than he was before. So there was this feeling of, all right, he obviously didn't need that, and so he's obviously very good without it. Uh, so I think that also kind of let him off the hook as well. I I mean, it was a it was a very intense uh, controversy in the moment. And I even felt that some were going a little too far in their criticism uh, of him because I just heard from too many former quarterbacks that said that they did the same thing and nobody really even looked cross-eyed at them. So I, I never really, uh, you know, played that card up too much. Um, but I really believe it started to fizzle out when he came back that very next year. And you know he wasn't using deflated footballs at that point and was just as good, if not better, uh, than he'd been before. Oh, I'm all for forgiveness, and I, I yeah. recognize Tom Brady's a great athlete. It just seems to me that there's a little bit of um, selective outrage that people can have in certain situations, you know, when it comes to celebrities and every other things in life. But I want to ask you about this whole big February 2022, January 2022 sports story is this whole Hall of Fame issue with Clemens and Bonds. And we can include Kurt Schilling in this, although he wasn't linked to, to PEDs. Let me let me give you a, a, a proposal, and let me lead up to this proposal in a second. So I had the famous attorney on my show last year, Alan Dershowitz, and, I, and he's written about Kurt Schilling feeling that he's a victim of political correctness and why he's not in the Hall of Fame. And I asked Dershowitz, well, there is a character clause in the Hall of Fame criteria. What if a writer just feels that Schelling just doesn't meet the character requirements? Dershowitz says that whole character clause should just be abolished. Um, 
you know, you want to go back and like Ty Cobb in the Hall of Fame. It wasn't the warmest, nicest guy. What do you think of that? Just getting rid of the whole character clause and 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 my the proposal I have, which I'm going to write a blog about. I want to get your thoughts on this, Chuck. Is why not treat the Hall of Fame more like a history museum where you honor and recognize talented people, but you also recognize their drawbacks. Um, so I guess I have two questions for you. One, should baseball just get Hall of Fame, get rid of the character clause because it's so subjective? And two, why not view the Hall of Fame like a regular museum where you just have more of an intellectually honest approach to these people? I agree with both of those things. I think that they should because, I mean, baseball writers, I mean, you know, they are they judge and jury over character. I mean, what is it that they're allowing and then not allowing? And if you're going to draw the line at somebody's political views, do we then have to retrospectively go back through history and comb through and find out who violated those? And if it's just that we're going to be ex- extreme against those that are on the extreme right, do you have to then do it to those that are on the extreme left? To me, it's a game that shouldn't be played. It should have never been played. And unless you're willing to go in and, and rip Ty Cobb, as you mentioned, out of there, uh, then, you know, Kirby Puckett, for example, here's a great example for you, Paul. Kirby Puckett, a few years ago, they made rules to get him in earlier. Like he passed away and Kirby Puckett was so beloved in the sport that posthumously we're going to change the rules. Even though he can't be there to appreciate it, we're going to get him into the Hall of Fame sooner because a great guy and a great player like Kirby Puckett, who had a great career, but he wasn't exactly Mickey Mantle's surefire Hall of Famer, but they changed the rules because of his character. He was such a good guy. And then a few months later, after he's already in the Hall of Fame, Several stories come out about it that he was a domestic abuser. I saw that. Uh, yeah, and then do you take then Kirby Puckett? Were you wrong about Kirby Puckett's character? And so you you voted him in because of his character, and then were you wrong? Are we now going to remove him? I think it's just a dangerous game to play. I used to work with Pete Rose. I think Pete Rose should be in the Hall of I Fame. I do too. Uh, and I think that you could very easily say, I, I like this idea. P. Rose never gets to get another paycheck from us in baseball. So he can't manage again. He can't be a general manager. He can't be a coach. I mean, Barry Bonds was just collecting a paycheck from the Miami Marlins two years ago. So you're letting him be in the sport and make money from you going forward. But then you want to draw the line at recognizing his accomplishments as a professional athlete when he might have been the best baseball player that you and I have ever seen. I mean, there's a very strong argument to be made for that. So, Yes, it's a history museum. Uh, I think they've had the vote wrong all along. And it's now so bad that I don't even look forward to it. I mean, you're, you're looking at right now on this screen, Paul, one of the biggest baseball fans. I know you are, met. Chuck. You're a huge fan. Yeah. And I can't even I don't even like the Hall of Fame discussion anymore. I don't even I mean, I have it on my air and I speak passionately about it on my show. But I don't look forward to it because we're no longer even talking about baseball. We're talking about character and, and steroids. And, I mean, think about this. Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame, the guy that oversaw the entire thing and did nothing about it, the I guy that it. knew everything. And by his inactivity was actually encouraging players to use because he was promoting those 
that he knew were using them. And he's in the Hall of Fame, and yet we're going to draw a line at Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. None of it makes sense. We could just clarify it by not having the stipulation. And chilling, too, because a lot of writers yeah. abhor his views. And he has said, in my opinion, some bad things about sexual minorities and things like that. But I, I think your point, the point of Dershowitz and others, is maybe we don't need these character requirements. And, and there's great people in history museums that also did some bad things. You know, so... I don't know. I, I, I think, and I think the baseball establishment, Chuck, is probably uncomfortable addressing some controversies and some bad aspects of the sport. You agree with that? Uh, yeah, and I, there probably is an element of they don't want him to give a Hall of Fame speech. You know, right. fear, of, fear, of, fear of what he might say. But yeah, I, I just let's just leave it at baseball. And look, I get that there's a steroid argument to be had here, but even that argument, uh, Paul, is a situation where you've already let guys in that we know use them. I use the comparison on the air. I, I, Tom Verducci is one of my favorite sports writers out there and one of my favorite people to listen talk about baseball, period. And his argument was, I'm not going to vote for anybody who violated the rule, who got caught violating the rule. And I'm like, well, that's like saying Bernie Madoff was a great businessman. <laughs> until the day he got arrested you know no he was a criminal the entire time so you just want to punish the guys that got caught you've already allowed into the hall of fame the individuals who we know were just as guilty as bonds and clemens they just didn't make as big a deal out of it because they weren't as much in denial so i think that i think the system is broken um, I, I think that Kurt Schilling should be a Hall of Famer. I think Pete Rose should be a Hall of Famer. I think Ty Cobb should be a Hall of Famer. I think Barry Bonds should be a Hall of Famer. I think Roger Clemens should be a Hall of Famer because they were great baseball players. And as you know, John Madden said about football, you know, John Madden said, if you can't tell the story of football without a person, then you know that person's greatness. I don't think you can tell the story of baseball to someone without Pete Rose, without Roger Clemens, without Barry Bonds. And if that's a museum, how do you not have those pieces front and center? I agree with you, Chuck. My, I guess my sort of hybrid proposal in a way is to allow these guys in the Hall of Fame, but just have a more intellectually honest portrayal of their backgrounds. That doesn't just go for Bonds and Clemens, but some other athletes as well. Anyhow, but I think we're, we're on a similar page here. Paul Schneiderman on the 112th edition of Sports Untold, also on Rainier Avenue with Chuck Powell. I encourage my listeners to comment, subscribe, and like, and go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com. Any questions for Chuck? that come up today we'd love to uh to ask chuck you know i i learned that you were on a famous high school was it a high school famous high school baseball or basketball team that you were on tell us about that. Uh, famous <laughs> well there's the joke that goes on in my show apparently i talk about my undefeated 26 and 0 high school basketball team that i played on in illinois uh, that, right yeah in illinois yeah. and we lost in the uh, regional championships so that's uh, an ongoing joke somebody called me out for it and i said you know what i've decided i haven't talked enough about my other accomplishments uh, in high school if that's the way you're going to be if i'm only focusing on the basketball uh, but apparently I've been guilty of doing that. But yes, my high school basketball team, we did go 26 and 0 my senior year and then lost in the regional finals for goodness sake. So we didn't even make it out of the regionals. So that's uh, something that I still wake up in the middle of the night with cold sweats 
that's uh, one of my sh- true shortcomings. Heard you in mention life. the other day. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a long list of them, uh, by the way. But uh, yeah, I went to. I, I'm from a little town of 3,500 people, and um, we had a really good run of high school athletics. Uh, we had a baseball team that, in a three-year span. Three, three, three thousand people in my hometown had 17 different uh, people either get drafted or play high school or excuse me, college baseball. Wow. Um, including Jason Isringhausen, who went on uh, to the major leagues. Uh, and and um, and he wasn't even the best guy from our hometown at, at that time. But he did develop into that, certainly. Uh, but yes, uh, for for whatever reason, my little town in the late 80s. Uh, we had a wonderful little run of uh, of athletics, and uh, probably had a lot to do with uh, you know my lust for continuing my career in the sports world. Sounds like a Sports Illustrated ESPN story. What went on in your small <laughs> Illinois town in those late '80s days? We're we're the same age. I think I'm a 1989 high school graduate from Roseville Same High School, here. Seattle. I was not the greatest athlete in high school, but I've always been a sports fan, so that's that's uh, my link to sports. How did, how did you get the sports bug, Chuck? Tell us about how you kind of got the bug and you got the bug going to broadcasting. Give us a little more of your uh, background. It's a really strange how passionately both my brother and I became in sports. Now, my dad was a sports fan. I mean, we're, we grew up in Southern Illinois, which was Cardinal St. Louis Cardinals territory and not Cubs territory. Uh, and so the Cardinals game, when it was on, it was on. And, and dad was a Cardinals fan. But I got to give the credit to my older brother, who's seven years my senior, uh, because he was already such a – and he's, by the way, makes his career in, in sports too, still to this wow. day. Uh, but he was uh, such a sports fan, and, and basketball first and foremost, um, and, and then baseball, and then uh, and football, of course. Uh, as well but I just from an, as early an age as I can remember um, was just a diehard sports fan I mean I sat on my grandfather's knee age five and I had memorized the back of baseball cards uh, and my grandfather would his you know his brothers and brother-in-laws and cousins that would be over uh, I mean I'd go on the knee and he'd show off with me uh, what I could do, you know, all the things that I'd memorized on the back of those sounds baseball familiar cards. boy I love those baseball cards as a kid yeah 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 and so it I mean it, it just as far back as I could remember I was just rabid about it and to the point where my mother often questioned if I needed to have other interests uh, she was worried that uh, I was too one trick uh, at the time, and now I sit and write dystopian fiction novels. So I, I guess I guess things weren't uh, all terrible there, Mom. But uh, it's just it's just always been a passion, and and I played a little bit, and I was pretty good uh, in high school. Um, nothing that was going to threaten the professional ranks, uh, but th- I, you know I also scratched the itch then. And then once I was done playing. I was determined to stay in it in, in some way, shape, or fashion, and that's when I got into broadcasting from the age of 19. I was broadcasting already in sports radio. That's incredible that at 19, as a teenager, you started breaking this business. Yeah. Chuck, um, I got a question for you that came from somebody that Lucius works with. I think it's a great question. Uh, do you prefer broadcasting at home or in the studio? Studio, for sure. Uh, yeah, I've been broadcasting at home for the last uh, couple of years, and uh, even though I've gotten comfortable with it, reluctantly comfortable with it, uh, I just miss face-to-face conversation. I just miss the vibe that you get 
um, from looking at somebody else in the eye and you can kind of tell where they're going with the story uh, and they can tell what you mean. You know, if you're, you're, you know, maybe just saying something sarcastically, they can just read off of your body language. Um, it just is so much more conversational and purpose in person. And I, and I feel that way in everything. I, I'm a person that in radio would always go to the sales pit and talk to the salespeople rather than talk over the phone or correspond via email. I just like face-to-face -face, uh, conversation. So it's not even a question. This has been a really difficult couple of years for me personally because this just goes against everything that uh, that I, I believe in as, as a professional. And so I cannot wait to get back into the studio and uh, and stay there. Well, I want to tell you something, Chuck. When I, I turn on your show now and then when I can, it doesn't seem to me that you sound distracted not being in the studio. Just So as a listener of your show, I don't sense that you're having any trouble doing it from virtually. But that's just a... I just want to share yeah. that with you. So Well, thank you. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And I think that I have gotten better over the last couple of years uh, at it. it. It's It certainly has become more comfortable, uh, but I do miss it. I just I miss it, especially like roundtable conversations where you've got all your insiders in and you're having to direct traffic rather than just let them feed off of one another. Uh, oh, man, uh, that's how you do the roundtable. So I, I'd like to be as little involved with our 12th man roundtable on Thursdays as possible and just let our insiders go at it. But because nobody can make eye contact, I have to be a traffic cop during that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Paul Schneider, you got on Sports Untold, 112th edition with Chuck Powell and I encourage people to like comment subscribe and go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com all right i'm gonna ask we we ask some tough questions on this show i try to have fun but i also ask some challenging uh questions at times so st louis had a lawsuit against the nfl the city of st louis you know st louis you didn't grow up too yep. far from there huge settlement that the nfl allegedly misled st louis and the rams departure from st louis back to los angeles um, is this a story that should be getting more attention in the 12 or so days before the Super Bowl? You know how, like, before the Super Bowl, there's usually these stories that come up, the pre-Super Bowl yeah. stories. Should this story of how the Rams landed back in Los Angeles be getting more national attention? You mean how the NFL and Stan Kroenke were in cahoots to steal St. Louis' football team right out from underneath them, even though they'd done everything that the league had asked them? I yeah. think you broke it down where the, where the city of St. Louis was coming from. <laughs> Yeah, as somebody from St. Louis and as a lot of people that I know back in St. Louis, I mean, I have a friend, Randy Carricker, who still uh, does sports talk radio in St. Louis, and he he can't let it go. I mean, he's still to this day. It's a primary topic on his uh, a sports show, sports show. And man, the NFL is just such king. And it, if a team loses it on their merits, then I suppose that they lose it. But I know that Seattle uh, there for a while was worried about losing its NFL franchise. I mean, imagine the Seahawks not being here. Imagine what a crime. Well, we lost the Sonics, as you know, to Oklahoma City. You yeah, know that whole story. So. Exactly. Uh, yeah, per precisely. And and that's a crime. And so imagine the crime of, of not having the Seahawks, considering w what the Seahawks organization, how just what a powerhouse uh, that it's turned into. So, uh, yeah, I think they absolutely – uh, railroaded the city they wanted to get back to los angeles they wanted to build this disney world of football stadiums right. so that they could host super bowls and they needed the deep pocket guy and stan Kroenke that wasn't worried about ruining his relationships 
uh, in St. Louis. He's a Colorado guy, for goodness sake. Uh, they needed him to execute it. So I, I think there were a lot of owners that were behind it. The league was behind it. And, yeah, it should be a bigger story, but it probably won't be. I'm sure it will be buried wherever possible. Well, you have to tell your friend and colleague in, on the St. Louis sports station that this podcaster in Seattle did bring up the issue. Chad. Okay, so, I will. So, I will. So yeah, my my little happy. forum here, I wanted, wanted to bring that up. I think your point, sir, felt. It was like an $800 million settlement, I think. It was a huge settlement. Oh, huge. Huge, yeah. huge. Yeah, we're, we're not talking. That was not a nickel and dime case. And I, I wonder, too, this is probably a extended conversation we can have sometime. I want to get some other topics with you. I think that that... St. Louis lawsuit probably scares a lot of the pro sports leagues that communities may have some more creative legal strategies in dealing with relocation battles. So anyhow, food for thought on that. So. Yeah, I, I well, you know what? I hope so. I hope that there's a precedent set. I mean, I get that NFL franchises, or excuse me, professional sports franchises do have to relocate at times. I could list five that have no business having one right now. Uh, they've had plenty of time to create a successful business model in their market, and they've just never done it. Uh, but it should be the absolute last resort. And I don't think that that was the case with the Sonics. I certainly don't think that was the case with the Rams. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think that you got to wear egg on your face. And, and maybe we haven't banged the drum loud enough against the league's for doing this uh, to their fan bases because uh, it's just an absolute crime. It's not just a business. I mean, it is sunk into the community. Uh, Cleveland Browns fans have had the Browns back for, what, 25 years now, and they still aren't over having lost them the first time, and rightfully so. A lot of passion, those sports relocation battles. I had as a guest on my show back in 2017, my show started back then, the late U.S. Senator Slay Gordon, and uh, Senator Gordon, who was in the Senate, was involved in some legislation to try to make it harder for pro franchises to relocate. It didn't go anywhere. He told a story that the chair of the Senate Commerce Committee, actually the former Missouri Senator John Danforth, put a stop to it. Part of it was Danforth had a real tie to the Anheuser-Busch family. But anyhow, so Slade did propose some legislation. Don't know if that's going to happen again, but it was an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. Um Chuck, where do you see what these these TV ratings of the Cincinnati L.A. Rams for Super Bowl 56 compared to other Super Bowls? Mid ratings, high ratings, low ratings? What's the Chuck Powell prediction on the TV ratings for Super Bowl 56? Oh, I mean, it's not going to break a record for largest audience, but it's still going to be magnificent. I mean, it's just the Super Bowl. I mean, I don't think that the matchup is what's going to be driving people to the game. Uh, now the matchup can add to it and make it, you know, where if you do miss it, then you might as well just, you know, check out, you know, you know, you don't even go to work the next day. Uh, there, there can be more magnificent matchups, but uh, it's going to be a, a terrific number. I, I, I don't, I don't even know it personally, anybody that doesn't watch the Super Bowl sports fan or not. Uh, and I think it has less and less every year to do with the matchup itself. So Cincinnati Rams, you know, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm excited. I mean, two, four seeds. Uh, but uh, I, I think that it's, uh, I think it's a, a compelling matchup as a sports fan, but the average fan probably wouldn't watch it on its own merits, but will watch it anyway for the, just the event that the Super Bowl has become. So middle upper middle ratings compared to the Super Bowl. Is that your prediction? Basically? I, I think that, uh, you know, for the last 20 years, you're looking at your average Super Bowl rating. I, I, don't, I, I don't think the matchup's going to be anything that's going to spike the number. 
Uh, it's it's not going to be a, a elite company here, but for the last 20 years, they're they're going to get their average audience that they always get. Well, I'm going to hold that prediction check. I mean, you, you think know, it's I, lower? No, I, I think you're probably onto something. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably. Okay. We'll find out. Let's, let's, let's you and I uh, after the Super Bowl, we'll have to get back okay. to each other on that. Okay. Uh, Chuck, the U.S. is doing a uh, the official American position on the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics is a diplomatic boycott where we're not sending a, a diplomatic formal mission. Um, I just read a New Yorker piece by Evan Osno. It's a good writer. He basically says that China is telling the whole world to, to screw off. Um, what, how do you feel about the, the, the way our government's handling the Olympics this year? Would you support more of a total boycott? Would you support doing nothing? What do you think of this sort of middle ground diplomatic boycott position? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't invested a, a lot of thought into it, and it is probably the more most important issue. It's probably a lot more important uh, issue than whether or not we should trade Russell Wilson this offseason. You know, um, so what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I should probably have invested a little more thought. I would just I would say that uh, I'll put it this way. Had we boycotted, I would have been fine with that. Um, but there's always this pull of the athletes, the individual athletes that worked so hard. This is such a special event in terms of it's, you know, every four years as opposed to the annual tradition and the career spans are so short uh, for the Olympic athlete that this is pretty much their only crack. So, I mean, I get why the athletes want to go and should go. Um, but had the had there been a, a boycott, I would have supported that. Gotcha. Just for the yeah. human rights issues in China, the Uyghurs, yeah. for a combination of reasons. Then, okay, yeah. okay, yeah. So you can go along with the way our U.S. government's handling the Olympics, but you could have gone even further. That's kind of where you're at on it. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's uh, you know. You know, I, I'm not losing sleep overnight that we're participating in the in a historic uh, global sporting event. Uh, but if that decision would have been made, hey, we're going to sit this one out uh, because of reasons bigger than sport, um, man, I would have had no issue with that whatsoever. Gotcha. I'm getting some different answers to that whole huh. question of the, the Beijing Olympics. And uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's, there, there's a lot of uh, aspects there. And your point's about how a boycott wouldn't allow the athletes to participate at the same time. As you pointed out, it's not a cupcake subject either. Right. Um, yeah. Chuck, I asked these two questions to my, I've been asked these two questions to all my guests since about late 2019, including when I had a few of your KJR colleagues on. Yeah. Um, the first question is, who's a living sports figure that you would love to interview or have a conversation with? And who's a deceased sports figure in history you would have loved to have interviewed or had a conversation with? Oh, that's good. Um, I have always been fascinated with, the Negro leagues, um, in baseball. And so, and I have often, I've kicked around various ideas about, uh, I've actually pitched this, uh, to, uh, a couple of different uh, television networks, uh, to do a television show about baseball in the year 1900. And so, um, because we've never seen it, we've never visually put our, we've never had the opportunity to put our eyeballs on it. So to recreate you know, would be the closest that we could ever come if we could have like some sort of HBO series that uh, could somehow uh, capture this. And so I would probably go all the way back to that time 
And I'm not sure if I would be Rube Foster, um, who was pretty much the architect of the Negro Leagues, or if I would go John McGraw, who was on the Major League Baseball side and, you know, one of the most influential figures in the history of baseball becoming what it's been, and his fight to try to get Negro League players over to the Major Leagues, uh, even then, even way back in 1900, which was almost half century before Jackie Robinson finally uh, crossed the, the color barrier. So it'd probably be one of those in terms of a deceased uh, athlete and in terms of a modern athlete. Man, I have uh, I've interviewed a lot uh, in my day. Um, I'm can I give you a few if... clues? I can give you a few clues if you okay. want. Uh, Softy is an example. He answered Tiger Woods. Dave Crosby answered Floyd Merriweather. Sandy Koufax's name has come up by a couple guests. Yeah. Uh, Willie Mays, Charles Barkley, Serena Williams. Um, who's that gymnast that's getting a lot of attention? Um, the African-American female. Simone Biles. Simone Biles. So, yeah, those are a couple. Yeah. Of, I've got a whole lot more. Those are a few names I've received. So, I, I think I – you know what? Honestly, I have interviewed – pretty much every kind of modern athlete um i think i would probably go ricky bobby i think i want to interview will ferrell as his character ricky bobby in talladega nights i think that at this stage in my career i i would look forward to something unique and fun like that even more so than picking the brain of a tiger woods and makes what makes tiger woods tick uh i i think i'd probably go to the side of comic or farcical uh, <laughs> then i would you know be interested well i in... guess you could i guess we could make a sports link to will ferrell because he's played some sports yeah characters and movies i'd love to get james con on my show you know he's played a he's yeah. played uh athletes in a few movies like brian song so i i guess you could make that link but is there well, a a manager yeah, Kevin... or a sports or, or athlete or owner i don't know i have a question yeah uh, lucius has a question Oh, here, Lucius just asked, what fictional athlete would you like to interview? That, that's a... uh, prob- uh, probably Crash Davis <laughs> Okay, from Bull Durham. Gotcha. I mean, and that's, I think that, that might be my answer to the previous question. I want to interview Kevin Costner about all the sports movies that he's done. I think that is a legitimate so sports figure answer in the broad yeah. sense because he's played so many yeah. athletes, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams. He's played so many sports characters so yeah he's played football movies he's done a track and field movie uh yeah he's pretty much uh he's pretty much done it all so i think that would be my answer to that and then crash davis uh because i i kind of subscribe to a lot of crash davis's philosophies in life i'd like to actually meet crash davis i wish he existed love it love it i love getting creative answers and and back to your answer to your to your answer you gave my question about a deceased sports figure you love to interview uh you i love how you honored uh the negro league some of those great athletes a couple guests have mentioned josh gibson and cool papa bill and some of those great players who were barred because they're skin color from playing at major league baseball so yeah, but Rube Foster was like the sort of the architect behind all of that and was happened to be the best pitcher in the Negro Leagues as well. And so there's a story about how John McGraw would sneak to get instructions for his pitchers on how to pitch, how to throw Rube Foster's famous screwball that he threw way before they even called it a screwball. And Christy Matthewson used to go to him for instruction behind the scenes 
And Christy Mathewson credits Rube Foster for Christy Mathewson's success. And yet Rube Foster could not cross over the line and play on the same field. That's an incredible story that a major yeah. league hall of fame pitcher, Christy Mathewson got tremendous advice from an African-American player who couldn't play. Yeah. That, that's a, I, that's a great story you just shared, uh, Chuck. I will not forget that one. Chuck, you're a big baseball fan. Um, would you call it a disappointment in the Mariners' 2022 season if they could not add another big free agent like Chris Bryant or maybe like Trevor Story? Uh, I would call that a disappointment, and I think a Mariner fan would have, have the right to be a little disappointed as well. I will say this for all of those that uh, didn't expect them to do anything. Uh, they've already proven some aggression. Uh, Robbie Ray, you know, you signed the reigning American League Cy Young Award winner, for goodness sake. Right. But my my expectation, and this has been my expectation from three years ago, I wrote an article about how the Mariners needed to rebuild for our website before they ever started to rebuild, before they publicly acknowledged. And I'm not saying that they took my advice. That did not happen. Uh, but I was, the point is, I was already on board with that before the rebuild actually occurred. And rebuilds stink. But sometimes they're a necessary, I mean, not sometimes, almost always they're a necessary evil. And I felt that, that was, it was time for Seattle to do that. So to have lived through this thing and to feel like the momentum building in 2021 was kind of magical, even though the team fell short of its expectation. I feel that the thing is ahead of plan. I think it's always been ahead of plan. Uh, and they have done such a good job, not just rebuilding the farm system, but getting rid of all of the bad money that they had on the books. Um, I mean, they are entering this offseason in as good a position as you possibly can be in, in professional baseball in terms of adding to your payroll. And so there's no reason that they shouldn't go out and sign an additional player. So my expectation, and it might not be one of the names you brought up, even though I've certainly talked about them a lot on my show. My expectation is that they are going to add another player at a high salary through trade or through free agency. Uh, and it needs to be an offensive player. It, you, need, you need to add to this lineup right now. So I will be disappointed if that's not the case between now and opening uh, day's first pitch. All right, this is a good segue. I think you're on to sign. I think they do need to sign at least one more major offensive player. Mm -hmm. I'm a casual fan. I don't follow it closely as close as you do, but that's my, my, uh, uh, my thinking as well. All right, Chuck, big baseball fan here I'm talking to. And I want to get your perspective on some of the baseball labor dispute issues that are clogging up this this whole situation. I guess I read they're getting a little closer to a settlement, but they're having some challenges. Um, one issue that interests me is the owners are proposing that 29 and a half be the set free agency age. The players want more service time included want to ask you about that and another big issue coming up is the arbitration situation right now i think players are eligible after three years the union wants to make it two do you mind uh, commenting on a couple of those uh labor issues that are creating some issues right now in the negotiations i do believe now I, I could be wrong because we're really not getting the straight material from everyone it's pretty much there's a lot of reading between the lines because obviously the players aren't going to announce anything and the owners aren't going to announce anything in the middle of a negotiation from what i understand the age thing was thrown out and i think that hmm. that's okay small. i didn't know that okay. Uh, okay so from a free agent standpoint here's here's how i think what what has happened here 
understandably so, owners have weary, have grown weary of giving contracts and free agency to people in their 30s and signing them to seven, eight, 10 year deals. We had one with Robinson Cano here, and thank goodness we got it out from underneath that. That was the biggest genius stroke of this entire rebuild that Jerry DePoto has has managed to pull off. So the idea was, all right, we've wised up. We got to stop doing this. This is dumb. We are giving guys $30 million per year contracts, and they're only good for half the contract. What are we doing to ourselves? So they stopped doing that. And it took uh, the owners and, excuse me, the players and the players and agents about a year and a half to realize this trend's not going to turn back around. They've wised up to the game. So they're not going to pay us as much after we're 30. Fine. Because that's the right thing to do in terms of making, building a business. But then you're going to have to pay us earlier. You know? And so that's what this entire argument is about. So the players were pitching initially to restrict the number of years of free agency. Right now it's at six years. Let's get it back to five. We want to be able to hit free agency earlier at a younger age because you're not paying us when we're old. You need to pay us when we're young and in our prime. And, and so I think that's entirely reasonable. Uh, and then the owners were not willing to play ball in that area. And even though it was a reasonable request. Uh, and so the owner, the players, according to reports, all right, we'll stick with the same six years, but now in arbitration, let us get to arbitration earlier. So our guys at 22 and 23 that are actually – far outplaying their contract I and mean, we got mvp candidates 22 23 years old in their first couple of years in the league tatis and soto and others let them get paid more than minimum salary but they're and under like so, a reserve clause type system right now yes. which kurt flood fought there's a little interesting twist there isn't there yeah well that but that's part of the collective bargaining I understand. Agreement no, I understand. negotiation right. and so right. that's the way that it works until six years until free agency is reached so them saying we would just like to be paid earlier in the process if we're not going to be played later, I think sounds perfectly reasonable. And now the players apparently backed off the free agency demand. Free agency gets to remain the way it was as long as you play us earlier in the first couple of years of our contracts for guys that are actually achieving at, at an all-star level. Paul, to me, that sounds reasonable. And if that's what's getting in the way, the owners have to sign off on this. Just do it and let's play baseball. They're not going to touch free agency. They've already said that. So let's figure out a way that those that truly do excel in their first couple of years can be paid, not a free agent salary, but can be paid more than what they're getting right now. I like how you got into the, the details. And I got a question for you. I asked a similar question to uh, retired Seattle Times columnist Steve Kelly. Uh, the late Marvin Miller, who's now in the Hall of Fame, by the way, in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He, Thank goodness. Yeah, he viewed famous labor organizer. He used to he did work for the Steelworkers before he uh, was a major league baseball players union chief. He viewed, although they're dealing with bigger salaries, he viewed the players' struggle with the owners as a classic labor struggle. Do you buy that? Miller's thinking. I believe. I pretty much believe what Marvin Miller has to say on this issue. I think he's well uh, earned his place in the Hall of Fame. What a significant contributor uh, that he was. I mean, they claim you would know you you have to know this better than me, but I have heard this my entire career that the strongest union in the entire world is the Major League Baseball Players Association. That they cannot be broken, uh, and they are very proud of that. 
Um, and one of the scary things that we've heard throughout this labor negotiation that Rob Manfred behind the scenes has said, and we don't know if this is true, that I'm going to break it. What an awful, awful goal for Rob Manfred to have. And it does make you just thoroughly distrust him in the entire process. And if that's what he's after, then baseball's in trouble. And he represents the owners as commissioner. So he's, a, he, he's yep. apparently speaking for what their goals are by what he had to, has to say on that front. Yeah. yeah. I, and if, if that's true, if there's any truth to that, then we are in deep trouble. And we clearly have the wrong guy in charge. Uh, so um, it feels to me through these couple of months that we have missed a lot of fun hot stove stuff for the Mariners and what should be the most important and best offseason in Mariner history. We've missed a lot of it already. It feels to me like the players have compromised on some really key principles and the owners in return have nibbled uh, in their ability to compromise. And I blame Rob Manfred 100%. We'll hope they get this resolved before spring training starts. Yeah. As a fan, we want to have a, a great twenty. Well, they have to get it resolved, or we won't have a spring. I know training. it. I know it. <laughs> uh, by the way, your point, Chuck, that you mentioned a couple minutes ago. Many labor experts agree with you that believe the Major League Baseball Players Association may be the strongest union, not only in the country but maybe in the world. I've heard that point made by others as well. So. Yeah, and and that's all Marvin Miller, right? I mean, you got to give Marvin Miller all of the credit for it. And it doesn't help us as sports fans that you have a a group that's so confident in its ability to negotiate a a fair deal. But for the Players Association, nobody wants to shake the foundation of that. Uh, The NFL has the issues with their collective bargaining agreement. They still have issues with their collective bargaining agreement. And every year, every time the new deal comes around, Paul, it's, boy, buckle up because we're really in it for the long haul. And then they cave, you know, because the players don't want to give up a paycheck. The majority of them don't want to give up a paycheck. Meanwhile, in the Baseball Players Association, if the union says you're going to give up some paychecks, okay, in the union we trust. Yeah. And, And so that's the difference between the two leagues. And that's why Major League Baseball always has a great CBA, and it's why the NFL always has a terrible one. And think of the, think of the NFL, Chuck. The average career is about three or four years, and these lifelong debilitating injuries many of these players have. You can make a case the NFL Players Association should be stronger than the Major League Baseball Players Association in some ways. So, Well, considering uh, that it's by far and away the king of American sports, how could they not have a stronger union than what they do? How can they, how can they fall? They have so much leverage. They have so much power in this situation, but the owners know that they don't want to miss paychecks. And so they end up giving the owners win every single argument with the NFL players. That's not the case in baseball. A lot of the times I wish it was because I just want to watch baseball. Right. You know, Paul, I, I, I don't want to like sit me. here and talk about this in the offseason. Well, yeah, I know. It, it, it's just a subject I want to get in on. Oh, in sure, today. sure. So uh, I've heard on, from some people in the NFL community, some didn't think that the late Gene Upshaw was the greatest players association chief. So there's a lot of history of the NFL Players Association. I don't have all the answers, all the history, but there's a lot that goes yeah. back there. Chuck, I got a couple more questions in before we wrap up. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you are. We already talked sports movies. Uh a couple minutes ago, I had fun with, with, with this subject. I've been asking a lot of guests this question recently. Uh, what is Chuck Powell's favorite sports movie? Pick one. I'm going to put you on the spot. 
I, I got to go back to my previous answer, not to sound like a broken record. It's Bull Durham. Uh, yeah, Bull Durham, I think, uh, from a comedic standpoint and the way it's written and the way it's acted, and it, it really does sort of reach into what minor league baseball is really like, um, which uh, uh, in a lot of those movies, you don't really get a realistic depiction. This one gives you a realistic depiction. So that's uh, that's my favorite. Um, uh, I, man, I used to have these ranked. Uh, I would probably go Slapshot 2. Great one. I'd probably go Natural 3. Great one. Uh, I liked then... Any Given Sunday. I thought that was pretty good. Did you like Pacino? it? I liked it. I liked it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Uh, so those are probably my – and Caddyshack 4. Those are probably my – those are my final four. You know, right Caddyshack's there. interesting. I, 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 yeah, it's a sports movie, definitely a comedy slash sports <laughs> movie. Another one that's like a science fiction slash sports movie is Rollerball with James Caan. That was interesting, you know. Oh, okay, you know, yeah. You know, that's, that's a little I, bit of a hybrid, you know, a little bit. I don't of know a, if I ever like thought about that in terms of a sports movie, but you're absolutely right. That's a sports movie, right there. I think it, it falls a sports movie. It's funny. I, one of my guests, one of my Rainier Avenue Radio colleagues, Granville Emerson, I mentioned to him that one sports movie pundit picked. Uh, the Hustler with Paul Newman as his favorite sports movie. Granville, who's a great sports commentator, goes, "Is pool even a sport?" So Granville, you know, he got really fired <laughs> up about that. You know, I think it is, but Granville saw it differently. So, but I get, I put it in there. Yeah, I put yeah. it in there. But that yeah. get, I get people talking on sports movies. I've got, I've heard North Dallas Forties come up. Rudy, several of my guests, including Steve Buden and my my prior guests, um, mentioned Hoosiers as their favorite movie. Oh, um, Hoosiers is a great one. Uh, uh, that's a uh, that's a great one. That might be if I okay if I have to expand it to five, I'll put that five. Put that five. All right. Well, yeah. maybe we can do the sports movie talk. <laughs> uh, Chuck, I'm going to get two more questions in with you, then I'll let you go. You've been very generous and gracious with your time today. Um, what's a question interview you did not ask that you wish you asked? question in an interview that i did not ask that i wish i would have asked. maybe you forgot or maybe you got cold feet or maybe you Ooh, uh now i gotta comb through the annals of my uh, interviews here um man that's a good question uh, da, 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 da. boy nothing really leaps to mind all right Maybe I need to come back. I'll have you back one. again. Well, we can we can maybe come back yeah. and answer on that. It's okay. All right, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, who's a sports broadcaster in history that you uh, admire? Uh, well, it was Bob Costas growing up. I mean, being from St. Louis, and he has such strong ties to St. Louis. And uh, there was actually an article written about me in the local newspaper way back in the day uh, that was sort of suggesting the next Costas. Uh, and you see it was that? about right. me. Right. Yeah, and 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 at the cool. time, at the time, I'm like 20 years old, and I'm like, how am I supposed to live up to that? And you really think like, okay, yeah, I, I got to be on track. I don't even know if he started as young as I did, uh, and so you're like, okay, and then you realize how hard it is to get there. <laughs> you know, one thing, Chuck, you and Costas have in common, getting to know you uh, better during this interview and listening over the years, you, you both get detailed on sports points. You guys are analytics guys in a lot of ways on some of these labor issues and so forth. So I, I could see that. That's a nice compliment. Yeah. yeah, yeah so. I like to feel, so. Oh, I mean, I, I, it was not warranted. Uh, it was just, you know, local kid trying to make good in the broadcasting industry. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's, he's always the guy that you kind of shot for. And here's the weird part though, is that he was all television and I've 
I've dabbled in some television. I've been a studio host uh, in the past before, but I've never had a career in television. And so I never even started on the road to Costasville, uh, even though that was certainly, yeah, that was sort of the goal coming out of uh, high school when I got into the broadcast industry. Uh, and, and yet I never even went down the road that could have made me uh, Bob Costas because I just stayed in radio. I got in radio. I stayed in radio, and, um, and well, yeah, you're, you're, that's you're, the guy you're that You're doing it for me. a living and, and, and have some great stuff. I got, I think, one more question. You know, one thing I want to share, uh, Lucius has another question for you. We'll get to in a second. But one thing I want to share about Costas. Now, he's a totally different kind of sports broadcaster in the late hour Cassell. But one thing about Costas and Cassell they have in common, when they talk, you listen. Oh, absolutely. And, and, the, and bo- they're both ex- like genius intelligence. Yeah, uh, as well, which uh, may have been another of my shortcomings there in my quest <laughs> to become the next Bob Costas. But yes, I mean, just thought—not uh, just thought-provoking, but those are two people, and I and I like to invest in this. Just giving the issue as much thought on it as I possibly can. I try to think on the fly about all angles of every sports topic that we have. Now, sometimes you don't have the time to do that. You really just, there's no possible way that you can adjust, but the, even off mic, the process is that it never really leaves your thoughts. I mean, you are constantly crafting that segment and what you're going to say that next day. And in order to do that properly, you've got to, see it from a number of different angles before you finally arrive at your own conclusion that you want to share with the audience. And I think Cosell was capable or or did that. And I think Costas does that better than anybody. He's terrific. I'm just chuckling for a second. I lost school. I wanted to be the next, you know, Jerry Spence or Clarence Darrow, but I, you kind of realize you kind of have to accept who you are and and maybe (laughs) you won't get up to that particular, those, those particular levels or, or, but anyhow, well, this is, I think the final question for today from my uh, producer, Lucius, Lucius wants to know what is your favorite dystopian novel? (laughs) I think it's a great question. I think I got to go with Contessa on that one. (laughs) Love it. Why not? I love it. it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I might as well. Uh, Frankly, it's probably as I'm scanning like my bookshelf here, uh, you know, behind my computer screen, you know, this sound, this is going to sound weird, but I think it is the one that I enjoyed reading the most was Watchmen, which is actually a comic book and I'm not a comic book guy, but it's a graphic novel. And I thought it was so brilliantly written. I just love, in terms of like dystopian world that that guy created and the storyline that he came up with. So that might rank as my favorite. I'm not saying it's the best, but I think that that might rate it as my favorite. I don't know if you were looking for an honest answer there or not, No, I I gave it to you anyway. Well, Chuck, one thing you succeeded (laughs) in today is I think you gave me more of an inclination to read some dystopian novels. So I think you've seen some No, you got to stay away from them. They're depressing. No. Well, Chuck, a lot of fun. Thanks for doing this on Sports Untold, the 112th edition, also on Rainier Ivan Radio. That's you and I stay in touch. I'm sure I'll have you on the uh, radio again soon. So definitely I uh, urge my listeners to listen to Chuck uh, daily on Sports Radio AM 950. Thanks for doing this, Chuck. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Lucius. Appreciate it. It's great being on. A lot of fun. Thanks.